Over. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Denise. How are you, Denise? I'm not so bad, thank you. I'm in snowy Oslo right now. And, uh, all wrapped up against the cold. Very nice. I'm sure it looks beautiful. Uh, it does. It really does. Just wet and grey and miserable here. Been cold. <laughs> Sounds familiar. That's it. So, uh, speaking of sounds, we're talking about the big finish story, Max Warp, which is out on vinyl today. Um, this is an Eighth Doctor and Lucy story, exclusively available through the supermarket chain Asda. Wow, I did not know that. Yes. Um, a little bit of controversy around Asda at the moment. Um, they've been in the news. Uh, I think there's like a hashtag boycott Asda um, trend on Twitter. Um, there's because uh, they're, they're owned by Walmart, the big sort of American chain. Uh, they're trying to f- force a lot of their employees to sign a new contract. Um, yes, they, I've heard about that. Yes, so um, fewer holidays and fewer rights and shorter notice periods and that sort of thing. Yeah, basically, I think people are being sacked if they don't sign it. Um, you're taking away sort of paid tea breaks and things and, and lower pay on bank holidays and that sort of thing. So. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's quite a bind. My suggestion is uh, buy the vinyl, but don't buy any of your groceries while you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a compromise, isn't it? Yeah. It's and just going. be nice and supportive to the staff. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously a tough time, especially coming up to Christmas. Yes, definitely. I mean, there's never a good time to do this sort of thing, but I'd sort of got the impression anyway that almost everybody working in retail they're on not much more than the minimum wage so you know there's only so much cutting they can do surely yeah you think so yeah um obviously that they're in for an incredibly busy time at christmas as well you know kind of retail just goes crazy doesn't it so so Hopefully, people who have signed the new contract or people who have managed to hang on to their jobs will get some good overtime opportunities anyway. Yeah, definitely. So, Which makes all the difference. That's it. So, um, are you very familiar with the Eighth Doctor stories? I know some of these were broadcast on uh, BBC Radio Four Extra a few years ago. Have you had a chance to? I've only them? heard a few of them, and um, mainly with Lucy. So I, I know her a little bit, and she's lovely, isn't she? Yeah, Sheridan Smith. Um, I mean, they're very lucky to have her because she is a massive talent, isn't she? But she really enjoys doing them. Or... Yeah, she's. Uh, this was slightly before I think um, she was such a regular face on on British TV and um, and a couple of movies she's done as well. But she has more recently come back and done another, another box set with Paul McGann. So yeah, it's great that she's got that affection for the part and uh, keeps coming back. Yes. I mean, after her massive uh, success in the West End, it's... uh... So so this is from the second season um, of Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller stories. Um, They'd sort of changed the format, I think, uh, from the the older Big Finish ones where they'd have the traditional sort of four 25-minute episode stories uh, and they they did something closer to the TV series. So it was these 45-minute single episode, really fast-paced stories. Um, this one's by Jonathan Morris, who's um, definitely one of my favourite Big Finish uh, and Doctor Who novel writers. Um, and it's a great conceit here, the sort of Top Gear in space. Um, oh, it is, isn't it? 
absolutely brilliant and it works really well with these with this cast because they've got such a great rapport and there's a, a lot of comedy back and forth with uh, McGann and Smith as well isn't there yes there is and Graham Garden of course is in it who is uh, an absolute legend in comedy yeah um, I yeah I don't a little bit too young for the goodies I think <laughs> there, I think there's them. a complete box set now but yes I mean I certainly grew up with the goodies and uh, I mean he's just such a solid comedy intellect mm. and obviously he has his own opinions about Jeremy Clarkson and yeah. played a character based on him with incredible relish he's very talented and I thought his uh, performance had a lot of very nice subtle touches yeah I, I saw him um the the Radio Four comedy show the I'm sorry I haven't got a clue um, I think he's a regular on that and they they recorded that in Carlisle and um, with Jack D as the host and uh, went along to see a couple of episodes being recorded uh, and he was excellent just really on form you know between between takes and that sort of thing um, just a very quick spontaneous wit you know it was uh, it was great to see him um, and for big finish after this he went on to play the meddling monk. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yes. actually, later on, actually, in this um, in, in the Eighth Doctor Lucy Miller series, he was the uh, the meddling monk, and Lucy becomes his companion for a while. Oh, that sounds intriguing. I might have to look into that. Yeah, it's it's a great run, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose a little kind of retrospective continuity. You could think it was the monk, uh, you know, kind of given that his character here is is really behind everything. It could be the monk sort of up to some mischief. Uh, incognito as, uh, mm. as the character Jeffrey Vantage possibly I'm... That, that might be a bit of a stretch yeah. maybe but uh, <laughs> yes I mean the meddling monk he's uh, an interesting character definitely I mean I sometimes think um, how he must have affected the doctor because uh, not long after meeting the meddling monk he uh, his first regeneration, he turns into Patrick Troughton, who does look a lot like Peter Butterworth, very similar hair and a sort of more jovial aspect. So, uh, yeah, the performances are quite similar, aren't they, between Patrick Troughton and Peter Butterworth? Um, I think um talked about that when we did the Dalek Master Plan podcast mm. with Jason, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can sort of carry that idea on a little bit as well, can't you? Where um, the Time Lord who was interrogating the Doctor at the end of the War Games, I mean, he, John Pertwee was also a tall creature with a large nose, so, you know, oh, and yeah. then, um, and so on. Yeah. <laughs> I could go on with that, <laughs> but then I sort of peter out at the um, regeneration between Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, true, yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, Glitz isn't really a good sort of analogue for the Seventh Doctor, is he? Not at all. I mean, the Seventh Doctor is definitely one on his own, isn't he? And it was so lovely to meet Sylvester McCoy at Vault a couple of months ago. Yes. Yeah, that was uh, that was great. Uh, so we yeah. had the news that um, the Season 26 Blu-ray box set's unfortunately been delayed by a few weeks. Yes, I saw that, Yes. Due out, I think, just before Christmas, and now it's going to be about the twentieth of January. So, so it won't be in your stocking. No, um, that's uh, yeah. I was uh, I was actually going to get that for Christmas as well. So, but it'd be a nice uh, late Christmas present to look forward to. 
yeah, see you through the long winter evenings. Yeah. And I think I'll be back in the UK sort of that kind of time of year. So if it gets delivered while I'm there, so much the better. Ah, perfect. Yeah, there's a character in this one called Gil Bride, who at first I thought might be Michelle Gomez. She sounds very similar, like the... Very She's similar. a very good Scottish accent. I mean, I re- I listened to the extras as well, and mm. uh, she's not a Scottish actress. She can just do an excellent Scottish accent. Yeah, it's very similar and, to Michelle Gomez's Scottish accent, I thought, um, and and its sort of delivery as well was uh, was quite. She similar. did, yeah. I mean, I was a bit confused. I thought maybe is that Susan Kalman was my first thought as right. well, but because I know she loves Doctor Who, so. Mm. Uh, she, yeah, she she um, wrote a short story for a collection that came out um, last year or early this year. Yeah. So um, the other thing I thought about this is there's a lot of because uh, well I suppose you talk a little bit about the setup. They're at the Sirius Exhibition Centre where there's a, a great big spaceship exhibition uh, and the TV show Max Warp is being broadcast from there, which as I say is a, a Top Gear uh, parody. I feel yes. like there must be a lot of in jokes. You know, you get all the. There's a lot of announcements over the tannoys at this expo. Um, I mean, the whole thing was where um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Doctor Who collide, wasn't it? Lots and lots of um, phrases and spaceship names from uh, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, particularly the restaurant at the end of the universe, where all of the amazing spaceships are parked while the uh, owners go and enjoy their fabulous meal in the restaurant. So there's Lazlar Lyricum custom jobs and infra pink logos and all the rest of it. Yeah, so uh, I didn't really pick uh, up on that. Um, I, I got the sort of the one they talk about. Um, there's an advert for. Galactic Salvage and Insurance, which is the organisation that the Doctor claims to be working for in the Nightmare of Eden. Okay. But the I didn't ones, spot that one. Yeah, the other ones, I kind of listened to it a couple of times and I thought, I'm sure there's probably something to pick out from them, but I um, I, I didn't really recognise any. But Hitchhiker's Got the Galaxy would make sense. Yes, very, very definite was. And there's also a, a paraphrasing of... Um, what Ford Prefect says when he's talking about one of the ships, he says, looks like a fish, moves like a fish, steers like a cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, that was lovely for me because suddenly you're in Douglas Adams territory again and that's never a bad place to be. So, um, yes, that was, there it is. It's a ready-made list of uh, cool spaceship names and uh, Douglas Adams, his legacy lives on. Yeah, and it, the whole idea was sort of quite cool because I think Doctor Who, like most science fiction, you just get like, uh, you know, like, oh, that's a Dalek ship or it's a Suntaran ship or a, an Earth ship, don't you? They're just that, uh, you know, every ship from a planet would be of the same design and everything like that. It's, but it wouldn't be like that. It would be like it is now where there's different models and, uh, yeah. you know, people are Although most ones, of them are black, grey or white because people are boring like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like that this explored that idea that there would still be, you know, some people would think that a certain, you know, kind of design was better than others and, you know, different features and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was something you don't oh, really, definitely. really get in science fiction if, generally. But if it's something you've got to buy for yourself, then, yeah, you're going to choose the options and the features. I mean, it's yeah. uh, like the Millennium Falcon, I suppose, is the classic vehicle of which its owner is very very proud yeah. even though it's a 
rust bucket. Yeah, true. That's it. So yeah, it was uh, it was nice that and the uh, the whole thing about the it being full of um, men having midlife crises. And mm. The doctor says I admit my midlife crisis centuries ago. Did you have any thoughts about which incarnation that might be? Um. Well, I guess it has to be John Hertwee, doesn't it? I mean, he's got the car, he's got the much younger women. Yeah. <laughs> That's immediately what I thought as well. Um, yeah, because the thing about sort of, you know, starting to take a bit more care over his appearance, uh, you know, going from mm. um, Patrick Troughton's um, dress sense to the sort of flamboyant uh, kind of shirts and jackets of, of John Pertwee. Yes, although, you know, that isn't something that I'd ever thought before about uh, <laughs> about Mr. Pertwee, not at all. I mean, um, his doctor was never <laughs> a sad middle-aged man uh, no. category in my book, and I don't think he ever would be. But uh, Yeah, it's funny that we both thought the same thing, I suppose. That, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a fairly, yeah. fairly quick process of elimination, yeah. isn't it? I mean, uh, you know... Tom Baker obviously just embracing the eccentricity and going with it, you yeah. know. Well, yeah, on so that basis, I think I must be past my midlife crisis as well, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely well, into full-on eccentricity. I haven't had my midlife crisis yet, so I, I sort of Googled it uh, to see what the symptoms were. And I thought one of the symptoms being um, a feeling of being tied down uh, with no chance for change, and I thought that's kind of like his, his situation of being exiled to Earth as well, isn't it? So, mm, yeah, 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 fits that way as well. Very, very good metaphor indeed. But mm. I, I don't think that's going to happen to you, Mark. So, fingers crossed. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll avoid it. <laughs> I mean, you know, unless you and every other British citizen is no longer able to leave the shores of the UK without <laughs> a very lengthy and complicated visa process then um yeah nothing's going to tie you down yeah <laughs> uh so um as we said the uh they, they've got this um this great top gear uh parody um and it's, it's it's like the sort of the the big the main or the most famous top gear lineup isn't it jeremy clarkson um Hammond, James May, James May, and Richard, and Richard Hammond. That's it. And Richard Hammond, yes, the hamster, um, yes. Which I think at this time, this was sort of two thousand and eight. This story came out. That was when they were kind of really riding high. I think, I think Doctor Who and Top Gear were like the two most uh, exported shows, or maybe the most exported BBC shows. Um, Quite at, possibly, yes. I mean, it was. Um, it was on in Norway, I think, and they were filming a lot in Norway as well. You know, they came and ran the cars down the uh, Lillehammer ski slope and things right. like that. And they did the um, racing using public transport and using a car to get from London to Oslo and things like that. So, ah, right. Was it a show that you watched? Yeah, we did actually. And they did a Top Gear Live thing in. Oslo, and we went to see that as oh, well. Cool. So, uh, so, have actually met these people. Well, not met them, seen them yeah. in the flesh, you know. But. Ah, brilliant! I, I watched it now and again. It would be more so if there was somewhere that was interesting, um, you know, like the country um, they were broadcasting from somewhere. But I know in, I guess it was about two thousand and nine when when Jonathan Ross got taken off the air um, after the you know controversy with. Uh, Andrew Russell Brand, and yeah. Russell Brand, yeah. That um, all the big name guests started going on Top Gear because there was no uh, 
no chat show on prime time. So they started getting sort of Tom Cruise and uh, and all these people. So I watched a few of those as well. And then I think they, they David Tennant did the um, was it the star in the reasonably reasonably priced car where they yeah. had to do um, you know, like a timed sort of lap of the circuit and things. So uh, yeah, probably watched those ones as well. Uh, so here they've got uh, Jeffrey Vantage is the sort of Jeremy Clarkson character. That's Graham Garden. Um, Duncan from Blue is Timbo, who's got the nickname the Ferret. Mm. So it's like um, they called uh, Richard Hammond the hamster, didn't they? Yes, yeah. Um, and here, um, and I guess this was, I think I checked this as well. This is like a couple of years after Hammond had a famous crash where he was going at like 200 odd miles an hour. Okay, it was after um, that, was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure. But, yeah, I think that was about 2007, I think. And then this came out in 2008 or nine. Um, and in this, the the opening scene is of um, of his character crashing a spaceship into a moon. That's kind of a little reference to that. So then, it's uh, it, as well as being a Top Gear pastiche, it also then becomes a murder mystery as well about who um, who killed the ferret. Yep, and um, the Doctor just leaps straight into the Sherlock Holmes Poirot kind of a role with uh, great gusto. Yeah, he's quite a quixotic doctor, I always think, Paul McGann, um, with things like that, if you can sort of like play a part like that. There's one, um, I can't one of his early ones, I think, where he plays the sort of the part of like a kind of a New York gumshoe um, and, uh, you know, kind of really relishes all that sort of like the cliches of, of film noir and that kind of thing. I suppose they've got some extra flexibility with the um, Eighth Doctor because there is less that is set in stone because his screen life was so brief. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, and some great comedy stuff where they, uh, where they do this, where um, they have to pretend that Lucy's had a memory wiped for uh, confidentiality mm. of the previous case, and that's why she doesn't know anything about the, uh, <laughs> the world they find themselves in. And I start, must try that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> when she starts making loads of kind of crazy guesses about the case and she says, oh, maybe the, maybe, maybe saying the word ferret makes spaceships crash or, um, you know, maybe the spin droid did it, that they're all, all her guesses actually turn out to be quite close to the truth. So the idea of saying the ferret makes the crash, it was opening the radio frequency that transmitted the virus that made it crash and that there was something dodgy about the spin droid as well. So just... Uh, I thought that was quite fun that what you think is a little, mm. a little bit of um, a kind of a comedy bit. Um, she was actually guessing some quite pertinent stuff. Well, yes, and also it's like um, what I do when I'm watching a TV drama event, a sort of murder mystery or a crime series of any kind. I'm always like, oh, it was him. He did it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she talks Very about it. Very easy to jump to conclusions. Yeah, the, the way she's, um, she sort of talks about it as if she's watching um, – a movie or a TV show because she says, oh, um, people always do that in things like this. <laughs> There's like a little bit of a kind of metatextual uh, comment on the type of story that she's in as well. I think uh, probably the idea of the spin droid, uh, it's kind of a neat idea, but it probably dates the story a little bit, doesn't it? Um, a lot well, yes, it does. I mean, they're talking about spin doctors and all the rest of it. Because mm. it, yeah, it seems like um, ages ago, but that was kind of still... Still new Labour being in power in the UK under Gordon Brown then, wasn't it? Mm. And everyone was worried that spin was a, a negative force in politics that was, uh, you know, going to kind of um, undermine democracy and everything. 
Um, well, uh, I say bring back spin. Yeah. That's what I say. Those were the good old days, how innocent we were. Yeah, to think that that was, uh, because they used to call it the, the, the dark art, didn't they? Was it the dark mm. art or something like that? The dark art of spin? I think if you made the story now, you just have to have a blatant lies droid instead of a spin <laughs> droid. R2 demagogue. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> We could go on about this for quite some time, but yes, well, yeah, but well, they don't even need the advisors or the spads or anybody to lie for them. They can do it quite well on their own. Yes, so that's seems. true. The, yeah, yeah, just just do it spontaneously now. But yeah, that was um, I thought that was uh, that was an interesting uh, kind of parody that got, it seems like ages ago, but yeah, it was ten years ago. Uh, it feels like longer. It feels like we've had uh, kind of about thirty years of politics in the last few years. <laughs> Oh dear. Mm. Uh, but mm. no, and then uh, I guess kind of the lesson at the end is um, that the uh, away from the spin droid, the um, the president starts to make the right decisions, doesn't she? Yes, with a little bit of nudging from the doctor, that yeah. uh, she realises there are more important things than her political career and winning the next election. Mm. Yeah, kind of approval rating sort of thing. Yeah, well, not that it's a really spin droid, is it? That's the kind of the twist. That <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, we just don't want to give too much away, but there are some lovely moments. I mean, mm. um, there's the uh, Kiss Ambassador, who who is a has a wonderful rural accent, as do all of his uh, all of the other members of the Kiss, who um, are a plant based life form. So a fern or a mushroom or something yeah they describe them as a sort of a sponge don't they like a, a sentient sponge mm. yeah. so um, so they were rather nice particularly in the scenes where um, the uh, they're using quite um, political or technical language but with the rural accent it's a beautiful yeah. combination <laughs> yeah it's kind of west country sort of uh, mm. isn't it and then, of course, Lucy goes undercover as a presenter on Max Warp. Yeah. Yeah. And takes the name Lucy Vauxhall Nova. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, and yeah. then and when um, she and the Doctor are in the Top Gear studio and the Doctor really geeks out over the funky board, like the cool wall, and gets upset if... Spaceship that he likes is in the uncool bit of the funky board. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I really liked that. I thought it was interesting that the when the doctor says that uh, he knows about the the war between the Kith and the Valons, who I guess the Valons are they it must be either a human colony or uh, just a race that's very close to humans because they uh, they obviously look human and they wear jeans and and talk about sort of. Um, mm. Uh, talk about very kind of human things, don't they? Uh, so yeah, my, my my take was that it was sort of a, a human colony. But yeah, you said you learned well, a lot yes. there. Well, yes, I mean they're having gins and gin and tonics and things like that, yeah. aren't they? So, uh, but he says that um, he learned about the war between the the two races in a documentary, um, which felt like a really different way for the Doctor to know about something. He normally just either knows, <laughs> mm. uh, or he busy. was there. Yeah, he's visited visit somewhere before or whatever, but um, yeah, that was uh, interesting. He would he uh, sat and watched a documentary about it. And there were some lovely little turns of phrase as well. I mean, um, they 
went back and at some point uh, you get uh, the yes minister from the doctor, you might think that I couldn't possibly comment. Mm. And then um, when the um, the KISS ambassador is taking his leave of the prime minister, he says, it's been a pity Instead mm. of, it's been a pleasure. And I think I'm going to adopt that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It occurred to me that um, it, it's potentially more difficult to write a, a detective story or a murder mystery um, like this in a in a science fiction setting. Because it is that sort of um, Agatha Christie type thing, isn't it? Even down to the Doctor assembling the suspects at the end, mm. um, which is, is what they do in Death in Paradise as well every uh, every week. Um, but because it's a science fiction setting, because these stories like that tend to rely on the sort of a, a logic and reason or like kind of an internal logic of, uh, if you know what's possible and what's impossible in science fiction, you can bring sort of alien powers and technology to do things that seemingly impossible. But I think this uh, this does it very well. The things that it hinges on um, uh, are quite kind of logical and, and, and understandable. If that makes sense. Definitely, yes. Um, the backstory of um, of Jeffrey Vantage. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out to be key in the end. Yeah, it uh, yeah, made a lot of sense because um, all the way through, and I think there's a great thing about this story is you can, for it to be out on vinyl is, it's um, it's great to re-listen to because not only like we said about all the, the in-jokes that you would pick up from the announcements on, on multiple listenings, but any, any anything that's a, a mystery, you almost immediately want to listen to it again to pick out the clues and uh, and, and see how well it hangs together once you know who's actually behind everything. Yes, yeah, that um, definitely happens, yes. Because there's various things that make you think it might be um, Gilbride or it might be O'Reilly um, throughout it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cleverly put together like that, isn't it? Yes, it definitely is. I mean, in a way, it's a simple story, but there's a lot going on. Mm. There really is. And did Monoid 18 ever find his mum and dad? Yeah, that was a nice one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, because mm. yeah, that's the sort of thing that... Um, I don't, so Doctor Who's tried to view, do a few times, isn't it? Like this sort of Star Wars cantina scene type thing of uh, of having loads of different alien races. But it's nice yes. when it's alien races that you that you know from previous stories. Uh, so yeah, you always, uh, it'd always be, be great if he's on a space station or something and there was a... Uh, a monoid or a sensorite or something in the background, it would be, uh, be quite cool. <laughs> the sensorite would have to be wearing earmuffs if he was in a bar. Yeah, <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> but they're fairly easy costumes to realise, you would think, as well, you know, if it, was, uh, if it was a budgetary thing. Well, it's always a budgetary thing, isn't it? You know, you've got to, you've got to do a scene and so you just pull all the old monster costumes out of the wardrobe, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, I guess you get that more in the new series, don't you? With um, with things like when when all the alien races uh, uh, build the Pandorica um, and, and appear mm. at the end to lock the Doctor in it. Um, I guess the, uh, the the modern costumes are maybe a little bit more durable or uh, built to last. Than, uh, yes, than yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, because yeah. they're more expensive, of course, as well. Mm. Yeah. But yes, if you can get someone to squeeze into an Ood or a Silence costume, then 
That's it. Uh, and I, I think seems like uh, Series 12 is going to have some returning monsters from a lot of... Not a lot's been uh, revealed or um, leaked or anything yet. But um, it looks like we're going to get some kind of maybe a trailer or an announcement, something like that, on the, on the anniversary on the 23rd of November. Well, that'll be good. And we've got Children in Need coming up on Friday, haven't we, as well? Yeah, there's often... Uh, and something a little bit Doctor Who-y in that, isn't there? But the only official... well, Jodie Whittington, Jodie Whittaker is doing a song, isn't she? So that's right. Yeah, she's uh, her and David Tennant. In fact, have done covers of um, I don't know, done covers of. They've done covers of some pop music to. Uh, yes, I, I know Jodie Whittaker's doing Coldplay's "Yellow." Right. I suppose because it's about the interior colour of the TARDIS. I don't know, or custard creams, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, not not my favourite song, but uh, interested really, to hear her interpretation. Yeah, I really don't know anything about music. I um, I never listen to music for pleasure. Um, something that like my wife can never understand. Uh, if I'm in the car, no. always have a podcast on or a big finish or the radio, um, uh, like Radio Four or something like that. I don't sort of. Um, I never. I think sort of hear a song once and you think, yeah, that was all right, but I'm, I mean, no. No desperate hurry to hear it again. <laughs> well, you you and I are very different there. Then I mean, I've got like music all the time, pretty much. I'm always way behind on my podcasts because most of the time I just want to listen to music, and um, it gets me going in the morning. If I'm cooking dinner, I have to be listening to music and probably singing and dancing as well, or it's. Uh, I have. I'm lucky at work because I have my own office, so I've got my Bluetooth speaker, and I can listen to music all day. Ah, great! So, uh, yeah, I couldn't live without it. I don't think. But uh, yes, I mean, some people don't listen to it very much, and some people, yeah, vive la différence. Yeah, that's it. I know it's it's a bit a little bit unusual. I just um, it doesn't. Um doesn't kind of really lift my mood or anything like it does for some people. I just sort of think, this again, you know. <laughs> I <suppose it's>, uh, <laughs> so much music is just very repetitive as well, um, I think. Yeah. Well, I think if somebody uh, thought music was uh, just Radio 1 or something, then I could sort of understand their point of view. But, uh, I mean, there's so much wonderful stuff out there. So. Mm. Good. But, yeah, the uh, the... Uh, I was going to say before the Doctor Who Twitter feed has a um, like a little teaser thing where it's the the TARDIS zooming along through space, um, and then it slows down in front of the camera and it says "Watch this space," um, and the caption says twenty third of the eleventh nineteen. So it could be that okay, uh, yeah, maybe well, because it seems like I think they keep saying very early in twenty twenty for the new series, so uh, potentially we're only six seven weeks away from that, maybe. Excellent. Yes, well, can't be too soon for me. I want to see what happens next and if they're bringing in some old monsters and perhaps bringing in some other elements from the series past as well, then that will make some of the more unhappy fans perhaps uh, feel a little bit more content with uh, the way things are these days. Well, stranger things have happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an optimist. I have to be optimistic about this. I mean, I think uh, Jodie Whittaker is an excellent doctor. Yeah. There's, an, there's a really, really strong TARDIS crew. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that we've had a fairly stripped down back to basics season. I was chatting to someone on Twitter the other day who said it reminded him of like classic who more than any of the other new mm. series has done. And I think that's a good point. Yeah. That's a... Um, it's, uh, but yeah, you can start if you brought in some new fans who've never seen the series before in season one, which I think was the intention. Absolutely. Then yes, bring back some elements of the past, fill in the tapestry a bit more. Yeah. And what's great for anybody joining the series now is the, um, well, all of the new series is available on the iPlayer and has been for quite a few months now, I think. So uh, there's a great opportunity to catch up there. And then the classic series is going to be on BritBox, the new subscription mm. service. Yeah, I, did I see something that there's actually going to be the reconstructions and things are going to be on there as well? Or yeah, did I, I imagine so. that? I think that's the plan, yeah. So I recently um, started getting the um, audio adventures on Audible. Ah, so, yes, I mean, I've seen the reconstruction of Marco Polo, but I think uh, mm. listening to it as well, I mean, that's such an important series for the season one mm. of Doctor Who, and it's such a shame that it's missing because it's like the characters really, really bond and really get to know each other in that story. It's yeah. such a vital part of that season. There doesn't seem to be a huge um, appetite for uh, animating the historicals at the moment. I think they've only done the Reign of Terror um, mm. But whether that will, the um, once they've run out of the, uh, the, the the more kind of science fiction ones, futuristic ones, they'll they'll move on to that. Um, I suppose the hope is we get to see like Marco Polo and the Highlanders and uh, the Myth Makers. Mm. Although we have got the um, underwater menace to look forward to. View from the deep. Fury from the Deep, yeah. not the Underwater Menace. Yeah. We've got a couple. We've got that already, haven't we? So yes. Yeah, which uh, which was a, an exclusive. You you got out of um, Fraser Hines at the Warp Convention, wasn't it? That there was something. Well, I mean, it wasn't. I'm not big time interrogation girl, but he was talking <laughs> to the guy in front of me in the autograph queue, and he was showing them some photos that he'd taken on location on his phone, and uh, so yeah. But uh, fantastic, yes. Yeah, so hopefully, it's be some good behind-the-scenes features on that one as well, then? Well, they went back to the location by the looks of things, so um, interesting times. Yeah, brilliant. That's great, yeah, two animations next year, Series 12. The Blu-ray box set's continuing apace. Absolutely, yes. It's um, not a bad time to be a Doctor Who fan. Definitely, definitely. And the... Um, Okay. Big finish continuing as well. And, uh, That's it. And um, we've got the, the vinyl releases. Hopefully these will continue with big finish stories. Uh, and the some of the missing ones as well, like we've had the Abominable Snowmen and Evil of the Daleks recently. They're, uh, they look absolutely stunning. Mm. Evil of the Daleks is a lovely story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, it's uh, been a good opportunity to revisit them because uh, we've done done podcasts on them as they've uh, uh, as they've been released. So we, we did um, Galaxy, Galaxy Four, Four. yes. So it was uh, yeah, good opportunity to revisit it, and uh, I think they are the least kind of probably enjoyed ones, aren't they? The missing the missing stories. So it's good to uh, good to go back to them now and again. 
anything that makes it easier for people to access them mm. has to be a bonus because at the moment you're sort of flicking around between reconstructions and YouTube and it's it's I mean it's a wonderful thing that we have this and there was so much love for the series 50 years ago that people were recording the episodes on audio tape yeah how lucky were we eh yeah absolutely that we've got a full record in some way of the story yeah there's nothing that's completely gone yeah if something can be remembered it can come back that's it and uh, you never know there might still be the odd episode out there I think um, somebody who did, you know, sort of works uh, works on these things had said that um, they they do know of some episodes that are in the hands of private collectors that might hopefully one day be uh, be released back to the BBC. So there is there is some. Oh well, as long as they're being properly stored. I mean, yeah. this is the thing now. People say, well, it's just going to be a can of vinegar by the time they get to it. But uh... yeah, as recently as twenty thirteen, though, we, we found the um, Web of Fear and. Enemy of the world, so... Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't given up hope, but no. uh, at least we've got everything in some format or other. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much that can be done. I mean, the animations recently have been stunning. Mm. Yeah, and it's heartening to hear, I think, from, from what Chris Chapman was saying at the uh, convention that we're at in September, that the, um, the funding model now you know, means that they're likely to continue... Uh, because I think they're broadcast on BBC They're broadcast America. in the States, so suddenly the budget is increased tangentially, so, yeah. Yeah, so BBC America broadcasts, and they put money into it, I guess, sort of um, BBC Worldwide or whatever it's called now, put money into it as well, and then hopefully I guess the, the DVD and the Blu-ray sales all, all feed back into it, so, yeah, it's uh, it's great. And if, we, if they're going to up it to two a year as well, that's... Uh, Hopefully, gonna mean that we have a complete collection before too much within our lifetimes. Well, maybe in your lifetime, not in mine. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let's get realistic about this. But ah. I mean, it always makes my David very happy if there's a new Troughton to watch because that's his. That's what he remembers when from when he was a little boy because he was born in 1962. So you know, right? Yeah, sitting down in front of the Macro Terror, you know, mm. he's he's captivated. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank you very, very much for uh, for joining me to talk about Max Warp. Thanks for having me back again, and uh, thanks for reminding me of this brilliant story. Thank you very much for listening at home. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it'd be very nice if you give us a star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, you can follow us on Twitter as trap1 underscore. Uh, Denise, your cup of tea, sixty nine. I'm quite oh, one word. Uh, and you can also like the podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you very much again. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>